Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, Cassie and I rock it as a party of two as we talk about some fantastic shows that we saw at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, you can reach out to us at facebook.com slash Productions. You can also find us at facebook.com slash Shakespeare and at ShakespearePod. And now, on with the show. Everything about this is wrong. Oh, man. Well, okay, but to be fair, it's 11 o'clock here. Mm-hmm. Is it? No, it's 8 o'clock here. It is 8 o'clock. It is 8.05 here. It's 8.05 here, so it's 11. Back in real time. Back in real time. A.K.A. Ohio, and not in Oregon, which is where we are right now. Oh, I feel much worse, though, because I thought that 11 o'clock was here. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, and that- I was like, well, then I can be tired since 2 a.m. real time. No. Nope. But no, it's okay. I'm just tired all the time. Well, yeah. No, I think that's a, that is a symptom of your 30s is that you're just perpetually exhausted even when you're on vacation. Yeah. In beautiful, and let's, let's, let's be real here, absolutely stunningly beautiful Ashland slash Medford, Oregon. It's true. It's gorgeous out here. Yeah. We are out here, uh, live on the scene, and by live on the scene, I mean back in our Airbnb in Medford, uh, from spending a day in the, uh, Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, Oregon. Uh, I am your usually mostly silent producer, Chase Greenlee. Uh, and I'm Cassie Greenlee, and you can't be mostly silent this no, episode, because it's I, just the two of us. Yeah, it's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Um, <laughs> And we are here uh, without our co-hosts because we are on vacation at said Shakespeare Festival. Um, we had a wonderful day today where we went and sampled the local food and wandered around this beautiful little city. Uh, and we went and saw one of the best theatrical performances of my life. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. Uh, we went and saw their production of Othello. And... It was absolutely fantastic. It's the first time I've seen it performed all the way through. Cassie, it's you saw it the second about time. 12 years ago. Yeah, it's the second time I've seen it performed. And it was it was very well done. So we thought we would do a little mini episode for you that's, I guess, mostly just a review of the production that we saw. Mostly that when, you know, and talking about, you know, some of the points that we touched on. We did re-listen to... Uh, episode two of our uh, coverage of the and text of the show um, on our way to and from Ashland today. Just to kind of remind ourselves what we talked about the first time around. Yes. Um, so yeah, so Othello, more Venice gets misled by Iago because Iago is feeling slighted. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Othello strangles his wife to death. Poorly. Poorly. Uh, but she dies, and other people die. There's many. There's three. There's four. There's yeah. four deaths in the play. Yeah, and they ends. all happen within probably 15 minutes of each other. Uh, Maybe 20. Oh, well, no, because you got Roddy. And Rodrigo, like, dies very far before everybody else. Well, yeah. Well, not even very, because it's the scene before no, the scene he strangles before. Before the, strangles Simona. Yeah, the deaths happen Fairly quickly. Yeah. Fairly quick succession. Things escalate quickly in this play. Well, okay. Yes, but 
It, they escalate very quickly when they start escalating. It is a slow burn. It is. The production we saw was actually about three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really feel like three hours, though. No, I was, I was antsy for the intermission just because I had to use the restroom. And I didn't want to miss anything because they said at the very beginning of the production, anybody who leaves the theater will be seated at the back. It's like, I don't want to sit in the back of the house. Yeah. Because uh, we had front row seats. We had front row seats. They were the cheap seats because they were very far. We were on the extreme uh, right side of mm-hmm. the house. Um, which meant that there were some things that were staged that we couldn't, didn't have the same effect where we were sitting as they would have if we'd been in the center. Uh, some of the stage combat, Mm -hmm. um, didn't like where Othello slaps his wife. It was very clear from our vantage point that there was like a foot of space between his hand and her face. Um, but that's okay because I... Appreciate safe, safe, safe stage combat. Yeah, and and as a director, I like seeing how the sausage gets made of other productions. So mm-hmm. when they were doing the big fight scene at the end, and there were like little blood packets hidden in various places around the uh, um, set for actors to like surreptitiously grab so they could burst them when they got stabbed. And I was watching really closely because I wanted to see how they did that. And that was kind of cool to be able to be like, where did that blood come from? Oh, well, Iago came in in handcuffs and he totally had a blood packet in his hand. And he just like burst it on his face when Othello stabbed him. And Othello definitely grabbed the one from under the bed when Mm -hmm. he got the knife. Got the knife. And there was some, some cool sleight of hand to get him the knife that he used to kill himself. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to that because I've got a I, I've got a theory in how I like that right. Um, it's a weird theory. It is, but I'm still liking it. Uh, it's, it's a few it's, hours later, and I'm still about it. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was very very cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and we were right up front, and uh, uh, not a fellow who might Yago was definitely about playing with the audience to the point oh, where he yeah. like smacked my foot at one point. Yeah, I just he had was my... like, he was, he was all up in the front row of people's business. Yeah. And it was very fun and funny. Like it was a, this Iago was a shit. Oh, he was awful. So I talked in our Othello episodes about how, when I saw this in Stratford, I was completely on Iago's side because the actor playing Iago was phenomenal. The actor playing Othello was not phenomenal. Um, and that Iago made you feel for him, like, oh, no, you're absolutely right. You should be, you know, whatever. This guy, like, he hadn't even opened his mouth. He was just standing there in his khakis and windbreaker, like, just looking like this entitled asshole white guy before he ever opened his mouth. And then he opened his mouth to say his first three lines, and you're like, oh, yeah, you are a raging racist, and I hate you. Mm-hmm. And that never went away. That feeling. no, he is perpetually being just the biggest douchebag in the room, which is hilarious because everybody loves him, and everybody I loves completely him. bought it. And I completely bought that they loved him too, and that he put on this lovable face for people because while he was, you know, let some of his uh, true colors fly when he was with uh, Rodrigo with everybody else, he is 
the straight up, he is the honest Iago that they love and trust and care for. And there's no moment where he's not that until the very end where he gives up the pretense. Yeah. Uh, and that pretense fell away quickly and beautifully. Yeah. Because once, you know, once that slow burn starts, uh, it is, um, it leads to a firecracker. Yeah. That is the last 15 minutes of that show. Yeah, so it was another very phenomenally talented Iago, mm-hmm. um, but um, played in a very different way than the one I saw before, which is fine. Like, perfectly valid, and I, I totally bought it. Um, so they modernized this one. It mm-hmm. was set in the modern world. Um, they had a really cool set mm-hmm. with this... Uh, there's There was no real separation between... The audience and the stage. No. Uh, it was basically like you were right there and to the point where Iago, when he was doing his addresses to the audience, was like coming up the steps mm-hmm. or hanging over the railing, like. Like jumping off the stage directly, like the two feet that was the stage onto the ground and talking directly with whatever <laughs> audience member happened to be right there. Um, the really cool thing about the stage, well, there's two really cool things about the sets because the set itself was fairly simple. Yeah, um, there, there's like a couple of pieces of furniture that they moved on and off. Mostly. With the hydraulic lift. With the hydraulic lift. Oh, I did bury so the cool. lead on that. Yeah, it was very neat, especially if you're not expecting it. Suddenly this table rises from rises the earth. The it was like, okay, our, this is the kind of budget we're dealing with. Uh, but they also had, and I think these are probably certainly built into the theater itself, um, uh, uh, screen screens. Yeah. And you could pull them on to different lengths and they had different, uh, levels that they could go out. So you could do, you know, half a, and, uh, there were projections as well coming from the back of the house. Uh, so the effect that you got is whatever the digital artist decided to do, um, they were able to create, you know, houses and rooms and buildings, uh, that not only would slide out, but the projection would slide out in time with the scrims, which is something that I noticed that is super hard to do. And I only noticed it stuttering like once or twice, which is phenomenal work on their part. Yeah. Um, they also had the back of this, of the, um, uh, set itself was uh, a palace wall and uh, just below the parapets you had um, a screen a series of like seven or eight widescreen TVs um, that they could change as well and put you know uh, during storms they had thunder and lightning going on there yeah, they had a was, sunset going on there it was really the the way that they integrated technology in with the set. Um, to enhance the production was really, really smartly done. Mm-hmm. Um, and very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we decided in the car driving. Yes. As we were listening that the, the main focus of this mini episode would be to settle once and for all the question of truth versus control. Yes. And the conclusion we've come to drum roll is neither. You're both wrong. It's about manipulation. It's about entitlement. Okay, wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, I've been thinking about this on my own. Yeah, no, she's been thinking. <laughs> we talked. We we had like a a ten minute talk over dinner at Kaleidoscope Pizza. By the way, very good pizza. <laughs> um, uh, the chicken Rockefeller is fantastic. The Pilsner I had was a little hoppy, but what? Okay, okay, <laughs> fine. Proceed. Okay. So, 
yes, it's about manipulation. It's about control and it's about truth. But when you're really trying to get down to the seed, like the one word idea that sums everything up and drives everything else, because manipulation can't drive other things. Manipulation is what is driven by something else. Okay. So I was really trying to hone in on what is Iago's motivation and what it really comes down to, at least in this production, was his sense of entitlement, what he was entitled to mm-hmm. and what the people around him were or were not entitled to. Okay. And that goes over to other characters as well. It was about what Rodrigo felt he was entitled to. Mm-hmm. It's about what Bravatiano and Othello felt that they were entitled to and what other people were or were not entitled to. And so for me, I think, having spent some time thinking about this on my own, mm-hmm. I think that at least in the case of this production, it's about entitlement. Okay. I can't think of anything to argue that point. I was going the original point we were going to make until somebody decided to change it <laughs> without telling your doting husband um, is that it is about uh, manipulation because it, that is the combination of truth and control and more specifically to the point controlling the truth. Uh, Iago spends the entire run of the show controlling the truth and making the truth what he will. He places the handkerchief in Cassio's room. He... Uh, tells uh, Rodrigo that there's any chance in hell of him getting with Desdemona, which one of the things I like most about the production that we saw today is that this was never even kind of even close to being anywhere in the same zip code as the table. There was no way that was ever going to happen. He was always... This was always going to end with Rodrigo being murdered. And I don't know if there's a way to stage the show where that's not the case. But they weren't even on stage at the same time, I don't think. But maybe once. Who? Rodrigo and Desdemona. Oh, yeah. They're they're never around each other. There's no reason for them to be. Rodrigo, I mean, he supposedly has land back in Venice, but... The version of him that we saw today was a just a total douche. A punk-ass kid. Yeah. Who is willing to spend every ounce of money and favor that he has earned in his and his entire family's life uh, to try and be with this one woman who yeah. he does not know. Yeah. And so talking again about the manipulation factor... From the get-go, from Act 1, Scene 1, Iago is manipulating what is happening because he doesn't care about Rodrigo. He doesn't care about what Rodrigo wants. But through Rodrigo, he sees a way to enact his revenge. Mm -hmm. And that's what I admire is the wrong word. (laughs) Because I don't admire it because Iago is a horrible sleazeball. Right. But he is always constantly four steps ahead of everybody else on the chessboard Mm -hmm. until the very end when he underestimates Emilia's loyalty to him versus loyalty to Desdemona. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what gets him in the end. I think is that he underestimates the love that his wife has for 
Desdemona. Which takes us to something that this production did that I really liked. Uh, They absolutely implied a, maybe not a romantic relationship, but certainly a romantic longing uh, on Amelia's on Amelia's side for, for Desdemona, and I really liked that too. Yeah, there were just a couple of little things: a look, a handhold, a hug, just little things like that that absolutely added up to oh, this woman loves the one that she is set to care for. Yeah, that was definitely there, mm-hmm. and that was a very neat addition slash interpretation. Um, also. I really, for this production specifically, I really want to call out that actress because she was phenomenal. Amelia was was. great. Amelia was amazing. And I could see that part, like, I could see a production giving that part to somebody who might not be as strong, but they they really put their powerhouse there. They did. And here's the thing, like, I mean, it's a professional Shakespeare acting company, so everybody's amazing. Um... But Iago was super, super strong because mm-hmm. he had to be able to make Iago a good actor, which is a bit of interesting, yeah. like, layering of talent. Absolutely. Um, and Amelia was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Testimonial was... Fine. Fine. Yeah. Othello was fine. Yeah. Uh-huh. Othello had the, like, the intensity down he, really well. He, yeah. Like, Totally went to the extremes. He also had a South African accent. Yes, which was... uh, Which was a cool choice. I'm not sure if that is the actor's natural voice or if that is something he affected. But if it was affected, it was very well done the entire way Mm -hmm. through. I believe he's in something else this weekend. Because yeah, most of the actors are in yeah, multiple shows. Most of the actors. So there's several shows going on here. This is not the only show we're going to be seeing. Um, this is probably going to be part one of a multi-part episode or a couple multi-part episodes. We haven't figured out how we're going we're gonna to see how long we end up talking about these things. Right. Because um, I absolutely do think we should talk about that thing we're going to do tomorrow morning, too. Yeah. And to whatever extent that we can. It's spoiler. Well, teaser. It's going to be great. Um, but... Yeah, the everybody was pretty good. Like the, the I'm trying to think here if there was anybody I really didn't believe at all, and I'm no, I totally dry. bought into everybody. Yeah. You know who also was really great, Bianca. Yeah, she for, was a lot of fun. She's not on stage very mm-hmm. much, and I I I loved the guy playing Rodrigo. I loved his interpretation oh, yeah. of the character. Rodrigo is still useless, mm-hmm. as we discussed in episode four. Um, he's still just, like, a worthless piece of shit. But the guy who played him, he had, like, a man bun and... Like, long, long, scraggly hair when he was out of disguise. And whenever he is in disguise on the military base, which is they, um, when they modernized it, the army that they are a part of becomes the Navy. Yeah, the U.S. So Navy. when he's on the Navy base, it is, uh, a jumpsuit. I think the name on the jumpsuit was like Wallace or something like like that. Wilson. Wilson, yeah. Um, Hair up in a man bun. It was very, very cool. Um, I also thought it was an interesting choice. So obviously, you know, Othello and all of his men are, you know, officers in the Navy. But they actually made Amelia an officer in the Navy as well, which I thought was a really interesting choice. Yeah. Um, Because the only people who weren't officers 
were Desdemona mm-hmm. and Rodrigo. Yeah. And Bianca. Yeah. Um, Everybody else was either an officer or a politician. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, I want to I want to dip back specifically to Bianca just because her portrayal was so interesting. Uh, what they did with her, um, because she is she is a whore, she is a harlot. Um, they had her in but like skimpy biker gear, yeah, and yes, to announce her check. presence uh, in her first scene, they had a motorcycle sound coming from off stage. And something that was really cool that they did whenever, like, every so often, like, a car would come in from off stage, or you would hear a car from off stage, you could see the headlights, which was yeah. just a cool little technical thing. I'm sure it was it, the least complicated thing that they did, but it's a really cool touch. Um, but they had her come in from off stage, rip off her helmet, and take a bandana off of her mouth. And, like, oh... This is a person, she is not a part of this military, but she still has a very commanding, very powerful presence. Um, and until it really kind of strikes that chord when they start calling her names as the show goes on, when they think mm-hmm. that, oh, clearly this woman tried to kill Cassio, uh, they really struck that chord of the difference there. They really othered her in that situation to draw that line so that you have, you know, there's a lot of ways that people are different from each other in the show. Um, Othello was the only black man. There were a few folks of Hispanic and Asian descent, but mm-hmm. that was about it. Um, still a very largely white show, which I think is how you do the show. Just yeah. because of the, you know, the, 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 the history involved. question and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, also, I just keep going back to the guy who played Iago, who's... He really was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, the moment where you just watched him go, all right, in order to keep this under control, I'm just going to have to kill a bunch of people now. Yep. Well, I guess that's what I'm doing then. <laughs> like, it was so well done because he had no remorse. Yep. At all. Even a little bit. The entire show. He he flipped a switch and that was it. Yeah, he flipped a switch. He's like, all right, well, now Rodrigo's going to die because he couldn't kill this guy. And, uh, all right, well, I'm going to have to kill Amelia. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, and when he killed Amelia. Oh, uh, he, he had a knife yeah. out behind her. Everybody but Amelia saw it. He pulled her close, turned her, stabbed her, kissed her, and threw her on the bed. Yeah. And uh, that was... Actually, was, no. Did, or, or did he... He dropped her to the ground. Dropped her to the ground, and he ran. And he, Yeah. And it was... Like, a very passionate kiss, too. Yeah. Like, there was almost remorse there, but there wasn't. But there wasn't. And it was... Ugh. Yeah, the the last... They did the show right, just because you did have that slow burn and the tension release of that last scene as everybody dies was mm-hmm. phenomenal. You want to talk about your weird theory? I do. So, in this production... Of the show, um, so the, the a question at the in the original show, I'll start with that is um, Othello kills himself with a knife that nobody knew he had, and that's the question: where did he get the knife? Because uh, knives are going all over, and swords or whatever you're using are going all over the stage during uh, this last scene. 
uh, who's armed and who isn't, who has uh, the power to kind of, you know, keep control of the situation. Um, and in that moment, uh, nobody knows that Othello has another knife. Um, and the question is, where did he get it? In the production we saw, um, the best that we could tell, Othello got the last knife when he took the handkerchief from Cassio. It was bundled up in the handkerchief. Yes. I I think that's how they got the knife to him. Because there was definitely some sleight of hand reveal with the handkerchief. Mm -hmm. And he, like, pulled it away and it's like, oh, no, I have a knife and I stabbed this off. Yes. And the question is, was that a choice uh, made because, well, this is something that has to change hands. We can put this last prop in here. Uh, That way he doesn't have any revealing, like, bulges. That's not a word you really want to use. But he doesn't have any, you know, bulging clothing or anything like that to reveal that, oh, no, the last knife is still on him. Why didn't they see that? Um, Or was it an artistic choice that Cassio knew that what Othello would do, because Othello is an honorable man and wanted to give him that way out. Uh, and I prefer to think the latter, because that actually, that does something that we, in talking last time, we actually kind of complained about. It fixes, it gives Cassio any amount of depth. <laughs> I don't buy into this theory. Clearly. I mean, there's really... <laughs> It's either a binary thing. It's either something you like or you don't. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that much. I think it is a nice moment to exist uh, because it does lend a little bit more agency to Cassio in this moment where he, Othello is someone that he respects. Uh, Someone whose opinion up until this moment, and honestly, probably even including this moment, still really values him and doesn't... Absolutely. Absolutely. She's giving me a look. She's giving me a look. But he spends the entire run of the show trying to win back his approval. Yeah, The entire does. run of the show. And then he finds out that he freaking killed his wife. And I don't think he admires him anymore at that point. I've, as we also talked about last time, he is no hero, but he's also a victim of circumstance. Yeah, but I, I think at that point... Cassio's like, all right, no. Depends on the Cassio. Depends on the Cassio. And like I said, this is something that absolutely would vary from production to production. Yeah. But But as a read of it, I do like that. Because you and I are reading his last line very differently. Because the way that the actor delivered this line about how this is what I was afraid might have happened if he had a weapon. And for me, that line read as, you dumbasses, why didn't you search him to make sure he didn't have a weapon? And the way that I read heard that line was, oh, it's a shame, that's what he would have done if he had a weapon. As in, yeah, I did that. No. Mm-mm. I mean, look, we can, we can, continue, you can shake your head and say, mm-mm, and I can shake my head and say, mm-mm, but it's going to make for terrible podcasting. <laughs> Um, I do not agree with this interpretation. I think it's interesting, but I don't think that was uh, it is the an intention. In- if I were to ever stage the show, that is an interpretation that I would take. Also, before we get too far away from that last scene and go on to final thoughts, excuse me, 
Mm. Excuse me, gracious sakes alive. Um, <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about something that was really neat that they did. Uh, kind of fourth wall breaky towards the end with the bed. That was weird. Yeah. It. So, okay, so you've got Rodrigo's dead body on the floor, mm-hmm. which obviously you have to get out of there somehow. Yeah. And so, Iago's... Go- my favorite... So, okay. So, they did definite light changes every time Iago went to talk to the audience. So <laughs> I know what you're about to that, talk about again. That I'm going to break the fourth wall. And there was one where <laughs> they do the light change and he steps to a spot to talk to the audience. But there's not actually a monologue there for Iago to deliver they just set it up as if he was going to, and then Rodrigo like comes barreling onto the stage and tackles him and out tackles of his reverie. Him out it's of, and great. it was wonderful. But so then at the end, after Rodrigo's been killed, they did this weird thing. It was weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it came from. So the bed came up from below. It was uh, on the hydraulic lift, and you could see that there was something underneath the bed too. Yeah, it, it was, like it was kind of hard to see. Yeah. Um, so um, Rodrigo is dead. And he stands up and looks at Iago, and then he and all of the secondary characters move to the bed, and the bed, the thing that we were seeing underneath the bed was a a turntable. And they got on any side of the bed and spun the bed, and they sang something, didn't they? But it wasn't just the secondary characters, it was Iago, too. Because for Mm -hmm. a second, I thought it was... Iago facing all of these people that he's killed and wronged mm-hmm. and having to deal with like the, this moment of judgment. But then like he joined the circle and turned the bed and it was weird. And I don't know why they did it. I don't know what it was meant to symbolize. And I don't know why that was the only time anything like that ever happened in the show. It was very surreal. It was, but I, I'm, I, I don't know how I feel about it. I think, you know, we could spend all night talking about the things it could mean. I think what it probably was was a way to continue to put the audience on edge for that final scene where you know what's going to happen. Because we were in a room, I mean, that theater sat, like, what, 200 people? Yeah, something like that. And it was just about full. And I'm going to guess about 150 knew exactly how the play ends. Yeah. Nobody, everybody is exactly aware of exact of how tragic... The tragedy of Othello is. And just that little bit of extra time where all of these characters are surrounding arguably the most innocent death of the show. Actually, no. The most innocent death of the show. Um, And, yeah. I don't know. It was weird. Yeah, it was. It was very strange. I feel like if you're going to do something like that, like some kind of stylistic choice like that, it has to happen more than once. Like yes. it, it can't be just one time that something weird like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so personally, if I've been directing and I wanted to do that at the end with the bed for whatever reason, I would have gone back and found a couple other places to put it in. Yeah, because it kind of came out of nowhere for me. It was a little bit jarring, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Why? I don't understand why we're doing this." Right. I can absolutely understand that. Um, but yeah. But overall, it was a very good production. Oh, absolutely. It was really well done. 
Um, very thought provoking, very intense. Definitely mm-hmm. like stays with you. And also, I'm pretty sure this is the first show that I've seen with active blood effects because they. Oh, those were really impressive. Yeah, they were very good. Um, because that- so much laundry. Because when they're killing each other, everybody's in white dress navy uniforms. On a bed. On a bed that's getting, so like the uniforms are covered in blood and they're white and it's like blood. And the sheets on the bed were white and it's like mm-hmm. blood. And I'm like, God bless the costume people for this production yep. because they have so much laundry to do at the end of each show. Oh, something else that we need to talk about, uh, the combat between Othello and uh, Desdemona. Yes. Okay. Because they kind of fix one of the big problems we talked about. Which is that Othello's bad at smothering people and Shakespeare didn't understand how it worked. Um, the But the strangling scene was so violently done. Oh. It was it was really intense and uncomfortable. It took about a it felt like a minute and a yeah. half of straight up strangling and it felt bad and wrong. Yeah, and it was violent enough that even when she stirred afterward and was talking to Amelia and had her last like eight lines, it felt like the struggle had been intense enough that her larynx had been crushed and her throat was swelling closed from trauma. And those last lines to Amelia really were like this last Last. bit of speech before succumbing. And yeah, yeah, it it did feel like they fixed the whole. She also uh, ran, which was nice. She also, yeah, she tried to escape. Um, She didn't just like sit in the bed and be like, well, I guess if you want to kill me, then I guess you have to kill me. Like, she was saying those things to try and placate him, and then she did make a break for it and try to run and escape, which went poorly. Yeah. But um, but that that gave her a little bit more depth, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fantastic show. going to be actively not thinking about it as I go to bed tonight, because mm-hmm. it is real unsettling. I promise not to smother you in your sleep. Likewise. Awesome. All right. Well, with that, it is, um, uh, it is, we've been going for just about a half hour, a little over. It is, uh, 8.38 where we are, but it's almost midnight where we're from. Uh, so we're both pretty tired. So we're going to go ahead and hit the hay. We've got another full day of Shakespeare tomorrow. Uh, and I'm sure you'll be hearing about that within the next, um, 30 seconds or so. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we'll see you soon. Good night. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. Hello. Hello, and welcome to welcome back to Shakespeare. I'm guessing this will come after Othello. Probably. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I I should, but I don't. It's also fairly late. Uh, it's. Three in the morning in Ohio, and it is uh, twelve ten in the morning here in uh, in the beautiful Medford, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are hot off of two days full of theater and fun, so we're gonna dive into talking about that. This little mini episode is going to have the theme of not actually Shakespeare things, but Shakespeare adjacent things. Shakespeare adjacent things. Um, um, are we going to start with the fun day we had, or are we going to start with the best piece of theater we saw this week? 
Uh, let's start with the fun day that we let's had. Let's start with the fun because, day Because, the, I mean, there's really only the one thing we're going to be talking about that is Shakespeare related to that. Yeah. And that is the Escape Ashland Escape Room, the audition. Um, for those of you who are uninitiated, uh, an escape room is a essentially a room-sized puzzle box that you are put in. Uh, typically, there is some sort of a story or theme that goes along it. And uh, you have to figure out how to get out of the room, usually within about an hour. Yes, I was a novice and have a weird sort of anxiety. And so the thought of doing the escape room where it's like, if you don't get this done in an hour, a bomb will explode and people will die is kind of nerve wracking to me in a way that I think would be detrimental to uh, my mental space. Except now that I've experienced it, I might be better able to handle it. But we found one here in Ashland where the Oregon Shakespeare Festival is held called The Audition, where the storyline is you are showing up to audition for Henry V. But there is another actor who wants the role of Henry V. And so he has locked you in the green room mm-hmm. and hidden your script. And so the only way, so that he can get the part. And so you have to solve the puzzles to find your script and complete the audition. Mm-hmm. Uh, or else he's going to steal the part away from you. Yes. Uh, we did escape. Uh, we managed it. In about 40 minutes uh, with just the two of us, uh, the record holder, at least as of us recording, is uh, 22 minutes with a group of 10. Uh, so it felt pretty good about that. Um, and this is absolutely, like, unfortunately, just because of the nature of it, we really can't go into a lot of the details of how cool the puzzles were and all of that kind of thing. Uh, if you're in the area, absolutely worth the i think it's like about 35 bucks a head to do it Mm -hmm. um and it's totally worth checking out if you've got that opportunity and you don't have to know anything about shakespeare nope um knowing stuff about shakespeare makes certain elements funnier yes (laughs) just because you know the background to them Uh, that one one joke specifically there is one joke specifically that is incredibly funny if you know a, if, if you know the background of Henry V. It involves tennis balls. Okay. That's and, all that I'll say. Yes. Um, but yeah. That but no, w- it was a good time. It yeah. Was, it was fun. And then Chase had to read the um, We Few, We Happy Few. Oh, that's a of- spoiler. Well, you had to read it. I didn't say in what capacity. Fair enough. But yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Yeah, worth doing. If you're in the area, definitely try and check it out. Um, I think we'll be doing more escape rooms in the future. Yeah. Like, just in general. There's a few uh, up in the Toledo area that we're from that uh, operate on a fairly regular basis. So we will definitely be doing that in the future. And uh, with that, we're going to talk about the best piece of theater I've seen in my life. It was... So good. The Book of Will. Okay, so in typical Shakespeare form, we should take it a, a, a minute at the top mm-hmm. to give a brief plot synopsis. We're obviously not going to be able to go through act and scene like we usually do because we don't have the script in front of us. Unfortunately, I want to get my hands on the script eventually. But um, 
basically the book of will takes place three years after William Shakespeare's death. And it opens brilliantly with an actor delivering the horrible version of Hamlet that was published in like second quarto form. Um, so it opens with the to be or not to be, I, there's the rub, which is uh, not the speech at all. And uh, it segues to um, three of William Shakespeare's friends and uh, members of the Kingsmen. Um, John Hemmings, Richard Burbish, and Henry Condell. And they are in a pub and they are lamenting the fact that what people know of Shakespeare's work is these stolen, pirated versions of his plays Mm -hmm. uh, that rival playwrights would send boys to the theater uh, while the plays were being performed to write down everything that was being said. And then they obviously didn't catch everything. And then they have these, these horrible, like bastardized versions of the plays. And uh, it ends with, you know, these three men kind of talking about how they're the last ones really left to remember these things and isn't it a shame that when their lives are over, mm-hmm. you know, they they want to make sure that Will's legacy lives on, but they've only got like six or seven plays in their full mm-hmm. versions. But Burbage remembers pretty much everything. But Burbage remembers everything. And so, um, of course, then uh, Burbage dies. And when... Which, not knowing anything of the history of it, Came as a shock because being down here and watching the promotional material and seeing all that, Burbage is all over every piece yeah. of advertising. No, he is, and he they... dies in like the first seven minutes of the show. Yep. Um, but once Richard Burbage has passed away, the two that are left, John and Henry, they realize that if they're going to preserve William Shakespeare's work, they have to start like that instant and they have to really commit themselves to doing it. So the play then becomes their efforts to track down the original versions through actor sides and through prompt books Mm -hmm. and through secret copies that people have made and their fight with the various publishers to get the rights um, and create this first folio, which was a crazy idea back then. And again, I don't know how historically accurate this play is sure. in terms of how the first folio was actually created. But this was more about discussing legacy and um, the, the pitfalls that happened to throw a wrench in the works and the, the obstacles and the hurdles mm-hmm. that existed to getting these plays to a place where they could be published so that they could be remembered. And what was so amazing about the show is that you know it ends they're successful um they have the first folio they take it up to before we get to that no i know you want to talk about it talk about it i know but there's only so much you can say about that and i think there's a lot more to be said about the show itself because you really it ostensibly is about the creation of the first folio but as much as it's about that it's about these two men who go through so much and at the end kind of only have each other. It's because John loses his wife 
mm-hmm. in the process. Um, and his wife was one of the big, one of his big motivators to try and get it done because, and this is going to lead into the stuff that you want to talk about. I know, um, because the plays were as much hers as it were anybody else's. She fell in love with her husband when he was on stage. Mm-hmm. Her husband was the most him he ever was. John, you know, for having a stutter, which is something that I can associate with, um, was his most himself when he was on stage. And those plays meant so much to so many people that, you know, his daughter, who is also a fairly big player in the show, uh, was also a, you know, was her, uh, the only one of his children to see him on stage. Um, you know, the, thank you. Thank you, computer, for letting me know that virus protection had to happen. Um, but no, there is, there is a lot to it and we're glazing over the, a lot of, you know, the fine details. And of course we can't go act and scene and whatnot. And at this point, I'm just making fun of my wife because she is sitting here like internally bouncing on her heels because she really wants to talk about the cool thing that they did at the end of the show, which is one of the coolest bits of blending of technology and theater I've ever seen. Honey, take it away. Thank you. Um, what I was saying before I was interrupted by my husband with that tangent. It Which was, was relevant. It was fine. Um, but the show deals a lot with the themes of legacy and what are you leaving behind in mm-hmm. the world. Um, because so many of the characters in this show die before the end of the show. Yeah. So Will Shakespeare's dead at the beginning and then Richard Burbage dies and then John's wife dies and then the guy who's helping get things published dies. And you're going along and it's all about this legacy and, and all this, this kind of stuff. And they create the folio and they take it to Shakespeare's wife Anne Hathaway and his daughter who have their own complicated feelings towards Will Shakespeare. He um, wasn't a great dude. He wa- yeah, in that very he wasn't, he wasn't a great husband yes. slash father. Um, the theater was really his, his first and foremost passion. Yes. Um, and he kind of neglected his family to pursue it to the extent that he did. Um, but they, they bring the folio to Anne Hathaway and Susanna and, um, they're talking about how much he meant to them and how much he did love his family because so much of what he wrote dealt with fathers and daughters and dealt with, um, you know, husbands and wives and all this sort of stuff, these sorts of things. And then you're going along, you're watching the show to this point and it's an engaging show. It's an enjoyable show and you're really immersed in it, but you're immersed in someone else's story and you're not really thinking about how it connects to you as an audience member until they get to the end when Anne Hathaway goes, well, let's, we have the plays here. We have all the ones he wrote. Let's read it. I've got these wonderful actors here. So let's go through and let's, let's read and let's perform. And so John and Henry take up the script and they start performing. And as they're performing these famous monologues, they start to project on the wall of the theater, these old clips. And as different actors from the show step forward and start delivering famous monologues, you see these clips up and you start to realize that they are clips of those actors performing those roles in past shows at the Shakespeare 
festivals and, 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 um, companies that they've been part of. And it goes through, I think, almost every member of the cast mm-hmm. delivering some monologue from some role that they've played in the past being projected up behind them. And then all of a sudden you're seeing a, a, a piece of film and the sound is coming from the film clip itself and it's just some person reciting Shakespeare and then they bring up another one and another one and another one and it's all these regular people who have filmed themselves recording Shakespeare monologues. And then they transition into people saying all of these monologues in other languages. And I'm getting choked up talking about it right now because it was incredibly moving and incredibly powerful. And it was like a a slap between the eyes of this is Shakespeare's legacy because these people did this thing 450 years ago. We have Shakespeare festivals across the country. We can see all 37 of these plays performed we can perform them ourselves because it was all written down. It was all copied. It was all collected. And that really, that this is William Shakespeare's legacy. What we did this week, what we saw this week, mm. um, what we've performed in the park in Bowling Green, Ohio is part of that legacy. And it just made the whole show very real and very pertinent, very suddenly. Um, and it was incredibly powerful. And just the whole show was this love letter to William Shakespeare, which I know a lot of our friends can definitely appreciate. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we do a podcast. We do a podcast. We do a podcast where we sit around and talk about Shakespeare's works for better or worse. Sometimes worse. They said a lot of love about King John. <laughs> yeah, they, they threw a they lot of love King. In, they love him King John, apparently. Well, and uh, they, they, there were so many inside Shakespeare jokes, if you're familiar with Shakespeare, like mm-hmm. Henry's favorite play was Pericles, and he kept wanting Pericles to get included. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't included in the first folio because they couldn't verify that Will Shakespeare actually wrote it. Um, and they, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the other inside jokes that, uh, I mean, I just kept laughing every time King John came up because it was, Mm -hmm. seriously, they name-dropped it like three or four times, and that's nobody's favorite history. They had a great, like, Abbott and Costello back and forth about Love's Labor's Lost and Love's Labor's Won. Love's Labor's Won is Lost. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was was a very funny show. Oh, yeah. It was a very funny show. Oh, it was very, it was very funny, and then it was very serious, and it was very funny. And there were some gradients in between, but not many. Yeah. Um, it was also beautiful. I mean, we talked about the projections. The, uh, the theater that we saw it in was the, is the Anne Elizabeth? It's it's the Elizabeth Allen Theater. Mm -hmm. It is an outdoor theater that is a, uh, I'm not going to say it's an exact replica of the globe because it's not because I've been to the globe. Um, but it is. <laughs> I made a face. Look, don't mind me. Alert for my husband. Um, but it is definitely modeled after the globe. It is an open air outdoor theater. Um, a little chilly. Little chilly. <laughs> little chilly. Little chilly being mid October. This time of year at the evening shows, a little cold, but uh, but worth it still. Definitely worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. Um, trying to think of the point I was trying to make with saying that it was an outdoor theater. Oh, right. The projections. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had mentioned the projections for, uh, at the, excuse me, at the end of the show. Um, but during the show, as they are, uh, doing the typesetting, 
Um, they are projecting onto the part of the theater that is really modeled after the globe. So you've got slats of houses and whatnot. Um, they're projecting um, font settings. Yeah, you typeface. Are, yeah, the typeface into, like, you know, the actual, like, bricks of it. And you are seeing um, the words of Shakespeare being set up there, but they're being set in between specific slats of the houses. Um, I'm just gushing over the technological aspects of the show. It's very impressive. It um, really is. Because uh, the all of the projections were absolutely gorgeous. The only time it even faltered a little bit is when they were using incredibly old footage from these actors performing these roles years and years and years ago. I would be shocked if some of that footage wasn't from like the, you know, 90s or 2000s, like converted mm-hmm. VHS kind of stuff. And it was all absolutely wonderful to see. Um, I also want to talk about the actual stage setting itself because it was all fairly, um, fairly Spartan. You had what, um, it looked to me like what they were trying to replicate was, uh, the actual boards of the Globe Theater, um, in, um, a quarter pipe, for lack of a better term. Like it was, uh, an extended quarter pipe, like a, a skateboard ramp. Uh, where you, uh, had this really beautiful, polished, um, wood going up. And that was the background for the bulk of the show was just that. And you had an entrance coming in through it. And, uh, you had some space off to the sides where the actors who weren't on stage at that point were ready and waiting. I really didn't see a whole lot of stage crew for the show either. The actors did. No, it was the actors doing Yeah, everything. doing pretty much everything. And it was uh, really neat to kind of see these people uh, waiting in the wings because that's what a lot of them did. I mean, we talked about, uh, you know, the three mains and, you know, their families are involved as well. John's wife and daughter, Henry's wife. Uh, You also have um, Burbage, who served as double duty as, uh, you know, Burbage, but also um, the gentleman who would become uh, the... uh, uh, the one who owned the print house, uh, who uh, Shakespeare did not like, apparently, at yeah. all. Uh, but he was the only one willing to take on such a task at, you know, w- uh, such a risky task as well. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, nowadays we know the value of Shakespeare. But back then, uh, they had the cheap knockoffs and those were serving folks fine. Yeah. So, uh, and especially printing something in folio, which... Um, as I came to understand through watching the show, meant print, literally printing it like a Bible. Uh, yeah. So it's the very fine paper, um, a bound in leather, which was expensive as all hell to do, and you really had to have the right equipment to do it. And uh, this was something that this one particular individual had. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, this is a play, this is a relatively recent play. It was written by Lauren Gunderson. Um, it was commissioned by the Denver Center Theater Company. Um, and it's just, it's phenomenal. It really is phenomenal. I would love to get my hands on a copy of the script. Yeah. Um, I would love to see how that last scene is written. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you, I imagine you have to I, pick and choose which Shakespeare speeches to do based on 
on what footage you have. I, yeah. Because I can't imagine that that's not an inherent part of the script itself. If it's not, it should be. And if it is, I actually have another way that you could do that. But I'm not going to say it on here in the off chance, in the incredibly off chance I get any chance to direct this in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, because I do have an idea of how you could stage that for um, a smaller space. Yeah. A smaller space that does not have an incredibly wonderful projection setup, which most places don't. Yeah. And this is certainly not a show for most places, but at the same token, it's a show for every space. Yeah. Just by its very nature, talking about the legacy of theater and what it means to people. It was very powerful. Yeah. It was very powerful. It I got me. Crying. I I was which I was tearing up as well, yeah. which is which is an accomplishment. Yeah, it's not impressive if I cry because I cry at everything, but Chase was crying and yeah. that was Yeah. There are a single digit numbers of uh uh media that have made me cry. Um uh, it, and they are all ridiculous. Um, the, and I will just list them now because thinking about it, there's only two. There's Psych when Lassiter is telling Jules how much he means to her in the last season. Uh huh. And A Knight's Tale when, uh, uh, what's his name goes home to his blind father and says, Hey, look, I'm a knight. You're so weird. Yeah, I am. I recognize that, <laughs> but those are the emotional beats that get me, and you cry at everything, including <laughs> at least one of those. Shut up. <laughs> anyway. Anyways. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, some phenomenal, phenomenal theater mm -hmm. put on here. Um, Book of Will is, like, reading the description of that online is why we decided to make this trip, and so I'm just really glad it was worth it. Yes. Like, absolutely worth it. Really phenomenal show. Yeah. That yeah. was it. It was something else. I really hope. Like I don't know if they do recordings or anything like that. But if I get the opportunity, I'm going to be sharing this show with everyone I can. Mm -hmm. If you had the opportunity to run, don't walk. Yeah. Serious, yeah. run, don't walk, and say even if you're not a huge Shakespeare person, this is as much as the show is about Shakespeare. It is about legacy, and as I get older, those themes really speak to me. Yeah. And now it's late and I want to go to sleep. Yeah, no, it's it's late now. And even though I we talked about this less than I thought we would. We talked way more about Othello. Well, yeah. But yeah, that's how it goes. All right, well, you all have an excellent evening um, or night or whatever time of day it is. We're going to go to bed. Good night. Good night. Good night.